What does God think about Christians who don't accomplish anything? What does the common Old Testament vine metaphor mean for us today? And what's the most pointless thing Ezekiel could find to talk about? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, and I'm a branch manager, and I'll tell you why I say that later today. So lately, I've been raking rocks, uh, spending a lot of hours in a gravel-covered parking lot, scooping up rocks, moving them here and there. At the place that I'm working for now, it's needing to expand its parking lot. And as the new guy there, uh, the the low man on the totem pole, I guess, I get to take a rake and a shovel and go out and smooth out the parking lot and and try to get these rocks a little bit more even. And this has been a multi-day job, but I just do it a little bit each day. I don't spend the whole day out there, but I do spend a few hours out there each day trying to get this done. And when I find any large rocks, I, I pick them up, I put them in their own little pile And that pile has been growing more and more each day. And I kind of start hoping nothing happens to it because I'm a little bit proud of all these big rocks that I've dug out (laughs) and placed over there. And as time has gone on and I've spent so many hours moving rocks around, I I find myself thinking about rocks uh, a little more than I used to, (laughs) more more than ever before in my life. Definitely more than any normal person does. You know, I'm thinking about rocks. uh, I'm turning them over with my rake and, and I'm turning them over in my mind. Any rock-related pun that you want to make, I I tell you, I've already thought of it. I go home and I I eat dinner, and my wife asks me, what what did I do today at work? And I have to fight back the urge to to tell her about the the big rock that I pulled out of the ground. Because maybe, for me, that was the most exciting thing that happened that day. But but if I say that, she's going to think that I have the most boring job in the world. And frankly, this hasn't been that boring to me, but... But when I try to tell people I'm not bored out there raking the rocks, they just think that I'm lying. So, you know, I kind of laugh and and just say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad when it's all over. Uh, actually, I got off work early last Thursday because um, my work was sending me to a Chamber of Commerce event. It's one of those like after-hours gatherings, and so I went there to mingle with people for a bit and, and try to represent my workplace well and establish and build relationships, make small talk, you know, all that kind of stuff. And in my head, I just keep thinking, don't talk about rocks. Don't talk about rocks. Don't talk about rocks. And then I met someone, they asked me what I do for the, for where I work now. And, and I said, well, I, I handle their social media and they say, oh, how do you like it? And I said, it rocks. Now, I don't know if people are actually more interested in hearing about being a social media manager than they would about raking rocks all day. But I'm going to talk about being a different kind of manager on today's episode, a branch manager. Today's going to cover the shortest chapter in Ezekiel. It's chapter 15. It's only eight verses long. Um, Now, if I had been dividing up Ezekiel, I would have put these verses in with maybe like the last half of chapter 14. But nobody asked me back when they were dividing the chapters up, you know, what I wanted to do. So anyway, it ends up on its own short little chapter. It's kind of interesting. This is the shortest chapter of Ezekiel, and it's right next to chapter 16, which is the longest chapter of Ezekiel. So we'll probably spend at least a couple lessons covering that 16th chapter, but I'm going to hold off on that one till down the road. But um, to prepare for today, 
Go ahead and get your Bible book or, or your Bible app, whatever you use, and uh, get it ready. Let's turn to Ezekiel 15. I'm going to read this chapter in two chunks, okay? We're going to cover the first five verses and talk about those, and then we're going to cover the last three. So Ezekiel 15, verses 1 through 5, they say, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to bake anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it, in the middle of it is charred. Is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred, can it ever be used for anything? Let's pause there for a moment. That was the first five verses. <laughs> That's over half the chapter already. But let's just discuss the picture that Ezekiel's painting right here. So he uses the analogy of a vine dresser, and this is a, this is a common analogy used in scripture. Someone whose job it is to maintain a vineyard. And so the grapes, they grow on vines. Some of the vines have branches coming off. Some of those branches are fruitful. Other branches, um, if you can just, you know, if you've seen a vine or you just imagine this, you know, it's got little tiny little branches that come off of it, but they're just little, you know, they're so small, they're dried up, they're useless, they produce no fruit. And so what a good vine dresser does is he goes along the vine and he clips off any of those little twig branches that are just dried up and useless. It just clips them off. It makes the vine look better. doesn't have this dead weight on it anymore. And so that, I guess that's what a vine dresser in a vineyard would do often. This is one of the things that they would try to maintain was, was clean vines, no little dried up dead branches. And that's what Ezekiel's talking about here. Those just, he's talking about those little vine clippings that you'd go along and, and just snip right off the vines as you are a vineyard worker. Um, that's what Ezekiel is referring to here. He's referring to it as wood, um, probably because they're just like dried up pieces of vine. They maybe they resemble wood, like dry wood more than more than healthy growth. So he so Ezekiel is saying, let's just say you gathered up those little parts you clipped off. He's just asking the question, are they good for anything? And the obvious answer is not at all. You know, you could I guess you could burn them in the fire if you want to keep your fire burning a little bit. Um, they're not going to make it burn that much longer, but that's what you could do with them. And of course, after you've used them on the fire, they're even more useless than before. So that's what Ezekiel's talking about. Now, so far, uh, you know, just to be honest, this is kind of a boring conversation. I'm not trying to insult the Bible whenever I say that. I'm just pointing out, you know, Ezekiel's talking about something here that's not the most engaging discussion topic. You know, if you're, if you're ever at a dinner party and you want people to leave you alone, then probably anyone who comes along, just start talking about vine clippings. Okay, people will probably steer clear of you after that. I'm pretty sure nobody wants to have a discussion about vine clippings. Um, it's just, it's kind of a boring discussion, right? It's like talking about what happens to the grass after you cut it, like the, the, the grass clippings. You know, I've never even thought about that before. I cut the grass. I don't think about what happens to the grass after I've cut it, the pieces of grass. I guess they disintegrate away. I don't know. I've never thought about it before. Nobody thinks about that. I never do. Nobody cares about your grass clippings after you cut the grass. And I, and I doubt that there's any vineyard worker out there who just lies in bed at night thinking about the vine clippings, right? You just cut them and you move on. 
Okay, it's like me at the Chamber of Commerce event trying not to discuss rocks, okay, which I got through it all and I never talked about rocks, even though they were just, they were temporarily on my mind. But there are some subjects that, you know, they just don't make for great small talk, like rocks or vine clippings. They're just not the most interesting topic because they're so useless and, and uninteresting. So why is Ezekiel talking about them? Because... Ezekiel wants to make a point about something being useless and uninteresting. So he talks about vine clippings because vine clippings have no point. And the lack of a point is the point. He says they aren't much good for anything, you know, other than keeping a fire going for a few seconds, if that's what you want to do. After that, they're then they're burnt up. They're even more useless and even more uninteresting. So Ezekiel, why are you bringing this up? Well, okay, now let's read the last three verses for today. Verses 6 through 8 say, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they have acted faithlessly declares the Lord God. So here's what Ezekiel's saying. He says, you know how useless those little wooden vine clippings are? Well, Israel has become as useless as that in God's eyes. That's what, that's what Ezekiel is telling the Israelites. Okay. Boom, roasted, basically. And literally, because God's saying, not only are you as useless as twigs of wood, I want to burn your city to the ground just like I would with the wood of any vine clippings that I had bothered to gather up. So God, God's being a bit blunt in this chapter. It sounds a little harsh. And by the way, if you think Jesus was any softer, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, he said the exact same thing in the New Testament. We're going to talk about that later. But God tells Israel, you are as useless to me as a vine clipping. So why is God saying that? Well, because of Israel's sin and its rebellion against God. Like they were supposed to be God's followers and to be God's representatives on planet Earth. I mean, God gave the Israelites the Bible. It was, it was pretty exclusive just to them. Like they, they were the chosen people, right? And, and now they have become as heathen and as pagan as any nation around them. They're worshiping idols, engaging in immorality, behaving just like the rest of the world. And so now God looks at that. He says, well, well now you're useless to me. You're producing no fruit. You're not being sanctified and set apart. You're not accomplishing anything for me. And so God says, I'm going I'm to burn the city to the ground. This chapter is just God explaining, as he has several times throughout the book of Ezekiel, why he is destroying this nation. Now, that was your breakdown of what the verses mean. Um, let's go over some cross-references with this chapter. So in Ezekiel 15, Ezekiel uses an analogy of Israel with the vine. And, you know, an analogy, that's whenever you, you illustrate an idea by taking one common object and you use it as a stand-in for something else that's maybe less familiar to the audience. So, Ezekiel. And when I say that, you know, this is God speaking through Ezekiel. But what he does here is he takes the common understood practice of a vine dresser or a vineyard manager, and he just applies those principles to Israel's spiritual status. This analogy of using a vineyard 
as an like an analogy for Israel, it's common all throughout the Bible. Uh, some of the famous ones are Isaiah 5, Hosea 10, Jeremiah 2, Psalm 80. Uh, and I think I actually have a lesson coming up in a few weeks on Isaiah 5. So I'm going to let me read a couple verses from it, though. I th- This is the first four or five verses of Isaiah 5. God says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. And I'll stop there. So in those verses, and these were prophesied about Israel like long before Ezekiel came along. But in those verses, God compared Israel to a vineyard that he had built a wall of protection around and spent a lot of time preparing the ground, giving it everything it needed. and Yet, it still produced worthless grapes. He says, what more could I have done to make Israel successful? And yet, you still turned to idols and sin. And so that's an instructive passage for us um, of where God uses a vineyard. That, that, you know, that just shows how God uses vineyards as analogies or metaphors, I guess, if you want to call it that. Another, another great one is Hosea 10 verse 1. He said, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pil- his pillars. And so God said here that Israel originally, it was a very successful vine. Like it grew, it produced great fruit. But what happened was it became arrogant because it thought that it didn't need anything else to be successful. That it was just basically self-sustaining. That it didn't need a vineyard manager. So the vine forgot that... <laughs> You know, it can't outgrow its need for its roots or someone to help take care of it. And so what it's doing right there is it's teaching a lesson about success, that the more prosperous you become, the less that you realize your need for God. Therefore, the more arrogant you become and the less faithful to God. So just another great analogy right there from Hosea chapter 10. Uh, I'll look at one more place the Old Testament uses um, a vine. It's in Psalm 80, and we'll start at verse 8 and go through verse 16. You brought a vine out of Egypt. And of course, that's talking about Israel, which is brought out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. So that was from Psalm 80, and that's a large chunk of verses there. I just want to note something you know that we read here in those verses to help us understand what God was saying there. He was saying that this world, it, 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 you know, we got to remember it's Satan's playground. Now, it's, he doesn't mention Satan there, but I, I, he might have kind of referred to him with the wild boar comment. But just remember that this world is kind of, in a way, it's Satan's domain. It's also God's world. I'm not trying to take away from that. But Satan has a lot of power here, too. So this world is a battleground. 
And in this world, the devil's going to do all that he can to attack you. For God to discipline you, all he has to do is just remove his hand of protection. Like, God doesn't even have to do anything to you, because if he takes his hand off of you, now Satan can get at you. And God was essentially pointing that out to Israel. He said, well, if you sin against him, what you're doing right there is you are breaking down the walls of protection that God had put up for you. So now enemies can get into your vineyard. They can uproot and burn things all that they want. So as I read that, I'm like, well, that's why I want to be right with God. Because then God takes care of me. (laughs) I don't want to lose that. Like, I'm not afraid of God as much as I'm afraid to be away from God. In in this world, in this life, I've learned lessons the hard way. And I've I've learned lessons um, that I learned because I didn't want to listen to God when I should have. I paid dearly for those. When I paid those prices, it wasn't God attacking me. It was that I really attacked myself. I, I shook off God's hands of protection because I had jumped the guardrail, the guardrails that he lovingly put up for me in the first place. I jumped him. I went right into the danger zone, right into the battleground. And if you step away from God, if you step into Satan's battleground, when you do that, you're going in unarmed. And that's why it's better just to stay with God. We'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap and some personal application of this chapter. Uh, First, I'll just ask, do you like fake news? Well, if not, then you definitely don't want to check out my other podcast. It's called Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. That's a weekly show, uh, or as as much as I can show. It's not always weekly. But on that one, we just look at the recent fake news, um, the, the recent news stories of all kinds, but we look at it through a meta narrative of how the media covers those stories. And so that one's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's more focused on current events. And so if you don't like fake news, then you definitely don't want to come listen to it. However, if you like laughing at fake news, come join the fun. We got new episodes of that one on Fridays, typically. And if you have a question on this lesson today, on this chapter, just leave a comment or shoot us an email crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you think I should tackle in the future. The next time on this podcast, it's Christmas time. So uh, for your week of Christmas, I've got a special Christmas message that I'd like to share. It's actually based on a sermon that I did many years ago for Christmas. Um, But I I always remember when I did it because it just embodies this idea of what I like to do. I like to journey through the Bible and tie a lot of different things together. And so that's what I tr- that's what I made this podcast to do. And that's what we're going to do next time um, with a special Christmas episode. And if you're in a Christmas mood um, or in a prophecy mood, you could always look up last year's Christmas lesson I did. I did a two parter and it was um, I think it was called seven different types of prophecy, something like that. I looked at seven different categories of Bible prophecy because not all prophecy is the same. I mean, some of them, some of it is prophecy and then fulfillment. Like some of it works that way. Some of it's patterns, some of it's other things. So uh, like dual fulfillment. If you want to, if you want to learn about seven different types of prophecy that actually all show up right in the Christmas story, then uh, just go back a year ago on this podcast and and you'll find it. I did a two-parter on that. Um, and so go check that out if you'd like to. Uh, but that's what, that's what we have planned for next week is another special Christmas episode. And then, um, 
I have some other things planned to do during Christmas break. Um, some some kind of like easier lessons for me to pop out because I don't know how much people are listening during Christmas break. So as far as the Ezekiel study, we will be back in Ezekiel next year in 2023. And we'll jump into chapter 16 at that time. Um, so for today, I just want to give one more cross-reference from this chapter. And then I will share an application that I think we can take away from it for our own Christian life. This is the most major cross-reference I can think of with Ezekiel 15. It's actually John 15, when Jesus made one of his great I am statements. The book of John contains several of these, uh, at least seven of them. And you'll probably recognize them like I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, there's this one here in chapter 15. Starts with verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So that's Jesus speaking right there in John 15, 1 through 4. And so in those verses, what's happening is um, we know that Israel was the vine, but Jesus says, I am the true vine. So Jesus is taking this Old Testament analogy or metaphor about the vine, and he's giving a new spin on it. He's saying Israel is not the vine anymore. Or, I mean, it was, but it was the, it was the old vine, okay? In Old Testament times, you came to salvation through the nation of Israel. Now, it was by faith in God, but Israel was the nation that followed God. So in most cases, you know, people generally got saved by joining the worship and the life of Israel, But that was the old way, and Jesus is the new way. Salvation's through him. It's available to everybody everywhere. It's not just through one nation. Salvation is available to any person in any country when they put their faith in Jesus. So how should we think of the fine metaphor whenever we come to it in places like Ezekiel 15? Well, what we need to do is think of it through a Jesus lens, that Jesus is the true vine. He's the source of life. And we are only alive and fruitful insofar as we are plugged in to him. If we abide in Christ, then we will produce fruit. And if we're not producing fruit, that's evidence that we're not really plugged into Christ. That we aren't abiding in Christ. That we're not on the same page as Jesus. Let me continue with verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So Jesus right here, he seems to draw directly from the ideas presented, actually I would say directly from Ezekiel 15 like more than anywhere else. God said that he would clip off those useless branches off the vine and that he would throw them into the fire because they're useless. And that's what Jesus is saying here about the Christians or or the so-called Christians who are fruitless and unproductive, that they are going to be gathered up and thrown into the fire. And so I, I honestly see that as analogous to hell. And maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, 
why would Jesus send Christians to hell? Because <laughs> I thought we weren't saved by our good works in the first place. Well, just let me explain for a minute. Um, I think we all know this, that not everybody who calls themselves Christians are actually Christians. As I understand it from the Bible, and, and like as I look at the world around me, probably just about half of the people who name the name of Christ um, are, are actually real Christians. And about half aren't, I would say. That's kind of just a prediction on my part, but that, I'm just telling you from what I look at as I look around the world. Uh, we see that, you know, the, some say that 2 billion people, if you add up like Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and Protestant Christians, that like there's 2 billion Christians in the world. I feel like if there were 2 billion Christians in the world, like legitimate Christians in the world, I feel like there would be, we would be living in a much different world than what we actually have. They say that, you know, America is at least... 50, 60, 70% Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, if if even half of that, if even a third of that were truly sold out to God, I think this would look like a much different country. And that's just not what I'm seeing as I look around. So what we what we know from the Bible, and I think what we see from around us, is not everybody is a true Christian. Um, if the rapture happened today, I would say, you know, around the world, maybe half of these so-called Christians, only about half of them would go. And I think we see this idea presented in in the parables of Matthew 13 and in Matthew 25. It's where God keeps gathering up all his followers and then separating the true from the false. And there's this idea presented that, that at the end of time, the angels are going to separate the real from the false. I, I saw this, uh, like, this shirt one time, like this t-shirt. It had a quote on it that was <laughs> purportedly from God. It's not something God actually said. It's more It's more like a bumper sticker slogan type of thing. But anyway, here's what the shirt said. Okay, it said, just love everybody. I'll sort them out later. And then it says, dash God, like as if God said it. Now, the shirt's a little bit flippant. I don't know the exact motivations behind whoever made it, but um, I would say there's a bit of truth to that. Like there's some Christians who are not really Christians, but also it's not exactly our place to pretend that we always know who is real and who is false because we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Like sometimes we can kind of know, but we can't know perfectly. Right. And so at the end of the day, it is true. God's going to sort them all out. And and so who we are ultimately res- responsible for is ourselves. And that's what we got to remember. So back to what Jesus was saying here, what did the words of Jesus say for ourselves? Because again, it's not our job to be the, the vine dresser and going around trying to clip off useless branches. That's not our job. We're supposed to look at ourselves. And so what do they, what does it say to us? Well, I'd say these words from John 15 are a challenge to ourselves to ask ourselves, are we being fruitful? Is there evidence of, of God changing us and making us more like Jesus? Or are we the same as the world? Are we being sanctified and set apart? So this is the same test that God used with Israel and that that Jesus applied to his followers. It's this it's this really dire warning. Jesus says, if you say you're plugged into the vine, but you're just a dried up fruitless branch, you're going to be clipped off and thrown into the fire someday. You know, it's a little, I don't know, blunt, harsh. A lot of people say the God of the Old Testament was was kind of mean and harsh. That's a misconception that a lot of people have, but that's what some people say. They say the God of the Old Testament was kind of mean. But then Jesus came along and he was so loving and kind all the time. 
what these people don't realize is that Jesus often said the exact same things that the God of the Old Testament said. I don't even like saying God of the Old Testament because it's just God, right? <laughs> like God's never changed. And Jesus is God and he's never changed. So um, anyway, yeah, if you look at what Jesus said sometimes, he had some harsh things to say for those useless Christians, for those Christians out there who are not accomplishing anything for the kingdom of God. If you remember, Jesus had said before that we are to be salt and light. Um, I won't go there right now, but it, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. And, and what is that? Salt is, is, is something that's supposed to make things better. You put salt on your food to enhance it. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out and enhance this world around us. Not to go out and be just like the rest of the world. We're supposed to stand out. But, but in a good way. We're supposed to make things better. Jesus said that we are to be light. Because this world is a dark place. Again, we're not to be like the world. If we're being just like the world, well, then we're being useless to God. We are to be a shining light, something that stands out in the darkness. So we are lights that point to Jesus. And what does Jesus say about useless Christians? Let me just read about this from, uh, from Luke 14, verse 34, 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. <laughs> so, uh, again, Jesus being quite blunt right here, he's telling them, if you are salt that doesn't have any taste to it, if you're useless, you would ruin poop. <laughs> That's actually what he said right there. It's not... It's not useful for the soil or for the manure pile. If someone sprinkled you on poop, you would ruin poop. Okay, so think about that. That's a pretty harsh statement. That came straight from the mouth of Jesus. Okay, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a light. And if you're an unbeliever, you're in darkness. If you say you're a Christian, but you're actually useless for God, you would ruin poop. You just make everything worse. You would even make poop worse, is what he's saying. <laughs> Honestly. So let's be fruitful Christians, okay? Let's like, I know it's kind of funny. What, to me, it's funny what he said, but I mean, let's take it seriously too in what he said. Like this is a, this is a strict warning from Jesus. Let's be fruitful and make sure we're accomplishing something with our faith. Chuck Missler, he always had two questions whenever he met Christians. He would say, how long have you been saved? And what have you done with it? Because whenever you do something with it, that's what that's the, that's what proves that we're saved. Okay, I'm not saying that we're saved by works. All right, I did a whole episode about that, about why Paul wrote Galatians just recently. Are we saved by works? No, a thousand times no. But when we're saved, we do have good works that go along with it, because that's an evidence that we are actually saved. It's whenever you are a fruit bearing Christian, whenever you are a healthy branch. That's why I said I'm a branch manager. I'm not managing the other branches, but I need to be managing my own. Okay? I need to make sure that I'm fruitful. I might be, it might be more accurate to say that God is the branch manager because he's going along all the branches and making sure that they're producing something. It said there, if you are a useless branch, he clips you off. If you're a healthy branch, then he prunes you. Now, let's talk about pruning for a minute, because that's that's actually not fun. It doesn't it mean he's not cutting you off, but he is cutting off pieces of you. OK, he's clipping some things off because he's trying to help you to grow 
even healthier. So it's good for us, but but it can also kind of hurt. You know, it's actually not fun to be pruned because, I mean, it, it involves some cutting. God cuts something off of you that you thought that you needed. God takes something away. But he's doing it for your good. He's trying to make sure that you're growing in the direction that he wants you to grow. He says, you know, that's that's weighing you down or that's going to develop problems for you later in life. And I've got to take it away to help you become what you are meant to be. You know, God knows everything that's going on with you at all times. He knows when you need watered. He knows when you need the sun to shine on you. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. I'm in the Christmas mood. He knows what what settings that you need, if I could say it that way. He knows what settings you need so that you can produce the most fruit. Vine dressers want to make absolutely sure that their vineyards can grow fruit. If God is the vine dresser, that means that you can't point to some problem in your life and say, well, this weed is in my way. It's keeping me from bearing any fruit. God says, no, I'm already making sure that you have all you need to be a fruitful Christian. You can't point at some problem in your life and blame the weeds. And when I say blame the weeds, like what what could be a weed? It could be a person. It could be a lack of time. It could be your job. It could be feeding your dog. Okay, anything that's keeping you from getting more of God. God is the vineyard keeper. He keeps the weeds out of your way. So there's no excuses, okay? Don't be a useless Christian. Now, you know, you might be a branch that's a little bit weak in one area. And so God God has to stretch you and pull you in another direction and to try to let your growth repair the weak spot. And that's not always fun. You say, God, I don't like getting strung up like this. But God knows that that's what he needs to do with you so that you can grow. It's not always going to feel good whenever you get in those tight situations in life, especially whenever you don't know why you're even in them in the first place. You're like, well, God, did I do something wrong? You're praying. You're asking, like, why am I going through this? And I don't know the answer to that question, but here's what I can say. You can trust God. If he has you in a tough spot in life, if he has you in one of those waiting periods, then he has you there for a reason. He's trying to grow you in some particular way. In fact, I've been reading this, the the Christian classic book, Experiencing God. It's by Henry Blackaby. And, And just this morning, I read a quote, and it really goes great with this. It says, waiting on the Lord should not be an idle time for you. Let God use times of waiting to mold and shape your character. Let him purify your life and make you a clean vessel for his service. And again, that's a quote. It's from uh, Experiencing God. That's by Richard and Henry Blackaby. God puts us in waiting periods. God puts us in trials, and this tests our faith, and it purifies us, and it gets us ready for the next thing that God has for us. And he's trying to teach us something in those times. And our prayers in those times, they shouldn't just be, Lord, take this thing away. They should be, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Because eventually it will pass. And all things do. The test is going to end. But don't just pray for the end of the test. Pray that you pass your test. I remember I once got to interview uh, Pastor Tim Keller. He's probably my favorite living author. And I've been able to interview him actually a couple of times on the radio, two or three times. Um, he had written this one book on pain and suffering. And, and I asked him why he wanted to write it. And he said, it's because so many people waste their suffering. 
They waste their suffering. They go through a period of suffering in their life, but they didn't learn anything from it. And so he wrote this book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It was to help people get through those times, having learned from their experience. And, and lots of us experience tragedies, but uh, it, I think it's, it's even more tragic to go through one and not learn anything from it. If you come out just the same, or maybe you come out bitter instead of better, God uses those times to prune us. So pray that we learn what God is trying to teach us in them. And then, inevitably, we'll be more fruitful. And that's the point. Jesus in John 15, he gives us three things that happen when we abide in Christ. One, we become disciples of Jesus. Two, we bear fruit. And three, God is glorified. And at the end of the day, that's the point of being fruitful, that we glorify God with our lives. And if you're doing that, no one can call you a useless Christian. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, don't talk about rocks, don't talk about rocks, don't talk about rocks. Don't talk about rocks.